You're listening to the 90-10 rule. 90% business, 10% music. That was Perspective by Van, right here on the 9010 Rule. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 9010 Rule. I am Kevin Davis, and uh, as always, next to me, I got Brian Jennings. And uh, today, like we are, again, we are recording live on location at uh, Writing Sessions of America Conference here in ATL. And um, one of the guys that I have in here with us today is uh, literally blowing my mind, man. The fact that he's even here. Uh, one of the creators of the soundtrack to my childhood. I'm a huge, huge Heavy D and the Boys fan. Always have been. Ladies and gentlemen, please give your welcome to uh, DJ Eddie F. Yo, yo, yo. What's up? Yeah, man. Thank you for coming in here, man. This is amazing. All right, so uh, yo, if if you would be so kind, man, talk to the people a little bit about uh, your background and kind of how you got to this point where you are today, and um, yeah, I guess we'll we'll take it from there and we'll we'll. That's kick volumes it off. and volumes right. of information. Um, <laughs> that, that was so loaded, right? Right. So, um, when I was two years old, no, nah. um, <laughs> um, no. Well, I started as a DJ first and foremost. Just started as a hip hop DJ. Um, grew up with hip hop because um, Mount Vernon, Money Earning Mount Vernon, where we are um, from, me and a lot of my music friends, uh, is the town over. We're bordered on two sides by the Bronx, and hip hop started in the Bronx. So we were pretty much there from the beginning. So I saw the whole, you know, being a young kid, seven, eight, nine years old, you know, becoming a fan of hip hop. I watched all of like growing up you know, cats playing in the park and all of that stuff. Um, and you know what? Some trivia that I didn't even know. Uh, Red Alert, who's actually from the Bronx, who was down with Bambada and Jazzy J and, 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 and all of them, um, his half-brother is actually from Mount Vernon. So 
you know, I talked to Red like maybe maybe seven years ago. We were just talking in the conversation. I said, yeah, man, you know, you know, I used to go, you know, up to the park, up to Brush Park, up the block from my house. I was real little. I would go up there and they would have block parties. He said, man, you know, my half brother, you know, from the college brothers, man. I used to come up there, me and Bambi. I said, man, that's the link. I said, I need to like get that word out, you know. So we pretty much were there from the beginning. And that's why we were so influenced because Red Alert's half brother was was right there on the scene with, with him. Um, so fast forward. DJ uh, one got inspired just by listening to records and 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 being a fan of hip hop. Uh, back then, you wanted to be either a rapper, you either wanted to play sports, be a DJ, or be an MC. And even if you were playing sports, you probably probably still either wanted to be a DJ or MC because that's what was going on. That was like the new hot. You know, thing to be just down with like some kind of crew or form your own crew. So, um, I chose DJing, um, studied all the, you know, great DJs, uh, Jazzy J, Grand Wizard Theodore, Grandmaster Flash, and probably some others that I'm leaving out, uh, accidentally. Wizkid, um, man, when we finally, uh, you know, started wanting to make a record, a mutual friend, Trouble T-Roy, actually introduced me to Heavy. And uh, we became instantly really tight. I had, a, you know, Mount Vernon's a small town, so you even if you weren't hanging out with somebody every day, we all kind of knew each other. We would know, you knew people's names, even if you didn't hang with them every day. So I knew Hev, I just didn't know him like that. Uh, so Troy brought us together. Um, we all kicked it off. We formed a group, wanted to make a record. I used to, I was the DJ. I used to read all the labels, and all the big artists were all getting managed by this one company, Rush Management. So we decided we want to try and go meet Russell Simmons. So back then, they used to have records. had the address of the record company right on the record. <laughs> right. So we actually drove down to Rush Management with our demo. Uh, we told the woman in the front uh, we wanted to, you know, we came to try and meet have meet Russell Simmons. We didn't even ask for a meeting. We just said we wanted to, we came to meet Russell Simmons. Um at the time it was myself, Heavy D, Navelle Hodge, which is a producer that worked with me on numerous records with Untouchables. Um and Al Be Sure, who at the time wasn't even a singer. He was he sang, but he was really kind of he was wanting to be a rapper too. He used to rap like kind of like Slick Rick. What? Yeah. Right. So, Wait, I'll be sure wanted to rap. Yeah, I'll be sure. Oh, light, light skin. <laughs> light skin. <laughs> so, um, we all went down. Heavy and Al were like the front men. They actually talked to the receptionists and, you know, said, hey, we, you know, we want to uh, meet Russell Simmons. So, this guy comes from the back and he's talking to the lady at reception. He's like, where are you guys from? We're like Mount Vernon. He's like, I came all the way down here from Mount Vernon. He must have thought Mount Vernon was like Mount Kisco, somewhere way, way, way far away. Um, long story short, that person ended up, that person was Andre Harrell. <laughs> he um he took a liking to Heavy. He called Heavy, uh, He I forget who he called him, but I remember he was like, and who are you? You the beat maker? You, you Rick Rubin Jr.? You know, so he was like, and if you know Andre, he has that type of personality, very charismatic, very funny. Um, so we ended up establishing a relationship with him. Little did we know he was going to leave the company or he was planning to leave and start his own company, which was Uptown Records. Mm-hmm. And we ended up being on a compilation, Uptown's kicking it. We ended up getting an album deal from that. We were the first group on Uptown. I actually, I wasn't a producer yet, but I made the beat for the first two singles that ever came off Uptown Records, which was... Uh, Mr. Big Stuff and Uptown's Kicking It. Um, and at that point, when I was figuring out what a producer was, I decided I wanted to produce and wanted to learn how to be a producer. Andre Harrell intro- also introduced us to Teddy Riley, who um, pretty much gave me information on how to finish a song other than make a beat, how to do song structure and all that stuff. And also Marley Marl. So I got my education from Teddy Riley and Marley Marl, which wow. is like the best of the best of the best. <laughs> <Man. Wow. laughs> so... Um, so that's the 
how we got to Uptown Records and how we started. And as the company grew, we grew. So we learned how to do everything from photo shoots, making videos, producing, making songs, how to put together albums. And I just tried to learn as much as I can. So I moved from that into uh, being a, a manager and then an A&R person. And I took all the knowledge and information that I was getting, learning as I was going. On the fly. And started passing it to other people. Um, and started inadvertently building a company, which was uh, started as a production company, Untouchables Productions, turned into Untouchables Entertainment. Uh, Untouchables Entertainment Group started managing um, artists. First, primarily, actually started managing producers. And even that was a fluke. I had my friends, Pete Rock and Navelle Hodge, and I was actually trying to help them get signed with Uptown Records as producers. And for whatever reason, it was taking a long time, taking a long time. And one day, they called me on conference call and said, man, Eddie, why don't you just manage us? And I said, um, I said, man, I don't know. I never thought about doing that. And I would do that anyway. I was the type of person who would like help people figure out the business because I did that with my own group. Me and Heavy were partners. We were actually 50-50 partners with Heavy D and the boys. Um, and so I think I asked Pete, I said, man, Let's come up with a name. And then he called me the next day. He said, man, we should be the Untouchables. I'm like, man, that's my favorite movie anyway. So, yeah, let's do it. So, um, created Untouchables. From there, also signed um, Dave Hall and Kenny Green and all these other people. And then we started doing records for different labels. And um, we were doing a lot of the records for Uptown. But my first song or project outside of Uptown was the um, Johnny Gill Rub You The Right Way remix. Um, wow. And I actually got that project from Gerald Busby. And I knew this was a new edition that had just come back and just did their comeback album and sold two million records. And Johnny had been added to the group and he was getting ready to do his solo album. So not only was I excited about doing the project, I looked at it as an opportunity I was about to put out, I had just gotten a deal for Pete Rock and Sale Smooth, was about to put their album out. So I actually took that opportunity to remix the record, and I called CL Smooth, and I said, man, I want you to rap on this remix that I'm going to do. I said, write a rap, make sure you say your name, make sure you say Johnny Gill's name. And, uh, you know, we didn't have the beat and everything yet. I think I told him, I said, it's kind of like the tempo or like Big Daddy Kane Raw or something like that. I said, it's going to be, you know, up-tempo like that because it had that same kind of, that sample in it, that James Brown sample. And um, he came. We did a rap version, a no-rap version because back then, all stations wouldn't even play rap, so you had to have right. a no-rap right. version. But I was doing it to market my artist. That was the first remix that featured a rapper. Wasn't the first R&B record with a rapper, but there was, uh, I think, Melly Mel was on Shaka Khan, and there was some other, but it was the first time somebody took a record that didn't have a rapper on it, remixed the record, and put a new, whole new person, which now, I look at now, like, everybody's doing collaborations and putting right. rappers and call features, and now it's actually the opposite. Back then, the R&B artist was popular and I just wanted to get my rapper exposed. <laughs> right. And mm-hmm. we actually, when we put out the record, we did put out on the actual single, it had a sticker that said, From the Johnny Gill Rub You the Right Way remix on the Pete Rock and CL Smooth first EP when we put oh, it out wow. in postcards. So we were, I really was using that as a marketing tool. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Did he always talking about he invented the remix? No. Yeah. So what, what <laughs> no. you telling us? And then? I mean, <laughs> no. And you know what's so funny? To that, man. You know what's so funny? Uh, well, we're going to go into that too, but I'm just going to answer real quick and say, you know, I mean, everybody knows that knows us. Puff used to live with me at my house. He saw me doing this whole thing. This was after Untouchables was started. So, um, I mean, we all family. No disrespect to Puff, obviously. But, you know, Untouchables, the hitmen. It's like, it's the, you know, it's the same thing. <laughs> it's, it's a remix. It's a comp- the company was remixed. But we all did that. You know, it's not like um, it's not like a, a not like a competition or a right. jack or anything. It's just right. we all, I mean, I was making records. I'm trying to, like, I'm listening to Teddy Riley. I'm trying to be Teddy. I'm trying to be Marley. I'm trying to, you know, anybody that did, back then it was anybody that did anything dope, you know, if if you were a ball player and you heard that Dr. J did a, you know, 
backhanded dunk. The next day, you came and tried to do like a, you know, a, a pinwheel dunk. Like right. you just everybody that it was just like that, and that's how Uptown became great as a company. So we all borrowed from each other. We all did similar things. We all kind of like copied each other to a degree. Um, but um, that was the first record the remix. Uh, with a featured a rapper, it was a gold single. It went number one R and B. It went number two pop. The only reason why it didn't go number one pop was because Mariah Carey had her first single out, "Visions of Love," which was like number one for ten weeks. Right. So it was yeah. stuck behind that record. But um, it was a major success for Motown, which Johnny Gill was on, and for us. And that basically broke Untouchables wide open to other people besides Uptown and we started just doing records and remixes for everybody and that you know Pete Rock and I and I would do I would put producers that were signed to my company I would put them on remixes with me to kind of break them because to me that was how I would position them to be able to sell them as a manager later on I would say hey I got this new guy um hey I got this new guy Pete Rock he worked with me on the Johnny Gill remix. Right. You know, and then I would say whatever, you know, he did the scratches, he did the beat, he did the talking, whatever it was, but it just gave that endorsement for somebody to trust him to do his own project. They already had a resume. Right. Dave Hall, uh, he worked with me on, you know, the uh, In Living Color sound or whatever remix I was doing. And I would do that a lot of times. With, that's how I would, like, get... Start my producers off. Yeah. I Dave just, is down here now, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. And I would did that with all of the artists, producers, and I would I would that's how I would piggyback them off of um you know off of projects I was doing. A lot of times, it's funny. I would sometimes not even be really actively doing a lot of producing, and I would just do it to say, okay, I got this new guy. Let me go get a project so I can kind of put them on there to like get their thing launched off, and then go back to whatever I was doing. Excellent. That's right. that's that's the way you keep it in circular motion. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, man, that you said a lot, so much, in just right that. But um, um, it, I think it's awesome that you were able to make a blueprint. So, I'm I'm kind of interested. Do you do you feel like your mentorships that you had were is is like the gold, or was it something that you just had to learn yourself? Was it something you had to just get your feet wet on? Uh, you mean? Do you mean? The company itself, yeah, yeah, just the, the, company? the company and your 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 transition from you know the first day when y'all walk in rush management offices to the point where now you're bringing other people in and and you know creating that idea of if I put you on my project then I have a way to sell you later. Was that something that you came up with on your own? Was that just trial and error, or was it you know did you credit it's, someone for that? No, it's something. I mean, it's something I came up with on my own. It was just marketing. It was, and I I, I guess I've always kind of had. Uh, some kind of mind to do things like that. Um, true story. When I first decided that I wanted to be a DJ, um, well, not first decided. Let me let me say when I decided I wanted to promote myself as a DJ. I'm in high school, so uh, this is before street teams. This is before all of that stuff, which which we kind of invented that too. Untouchables, which Puff got some of that from us. A lot of stuff, he did it bigger and better, but he saw a lot of the trial run or the blueprint run mm-hmm. through us. Because um, he was an intern at that time, so yeah. he soaked a lot of that up. Yeah, and and like I said, he, he lived in my house, but it's all good. It's not like, you know, it's nothing negative or bad about that at all. It's all great. Um, I actually, to go back to the story, I they used to have like... Uh, you go down like in the furnace room or the boiler room, they would have like, you know, a sticker on the furnace that would say, you know, call for service. And it would have like, you know, whoever the contractor, whoever deals with your furnace or whatever. So I, in the mail or something, got a catalog and it had all those, it had like kind of like office supplies and things like that. And there was a part in the catalog where it had, um, you know, the call for service stickers. So I ordered a roll of the stickers, called for service, and I put on a step. I took out the company stuff, and I put DJ Eddie F, and I might have put Scratch Master or something. I put my phone number, which, you know, no cell phones and all that. It was a house number. <laughs> um, I didn't put the address and all that, but I put my name, no email. We didn't have none of that, no Twitter. We didn't have none of that. 
I the, so I ordered it. It came in a big roll. I took the roll of stickers to my high school, and um, this is crazy. This is like it's kind of like that you know that film uh I think Can't Buy Me Love or somewhere the guy did some crazy he did some crazy dance and next thing you know it caught because he did it with the cool right. girl and yeah. then everything caught on so this is what happened because I wasn't like I know the music I know the culture I've been around a lot of street situations and street guys but I don't call myself I'm not like a street guy like that you know what I mean mm-hmm. but I know the whole culture I know right. I know the I know the killers and the murderers, but I'm not a killer or a murderer or any of that. Right. But so in my school, I was just a low-key guy. My my mother and father, both teachers, professional people. So I was like, you know, in humanities and, you know, if I wasn't doing right in school, my dad wasn't having it. He would come to the school. And my dad was super cool. Everybody in the street knew him, so I couldn't get away from anything anyway. If I act up at all... <laughs> You know, plus he was a he was a frat, everything, Mason, all that. So he just knew everybody everywhere. So anyway, I'm just giving you to paint the whole picture. So a friend of mine who was part of a crew called the Seven Up Crew, they were the popular, they were the guys who would, would come first with the Gumbies, the flat top, the polka dot shirts, all that stuff. They would always come with the style and fashion, the dances. They would come to the parties. All the girls love these guys. Puff actually was a part of that crew, but he was like the quietest one of that crew. The leader of that crew was this guy called Groovy Lou. And he's still a stylist right now. Styles are like Lil Wayne, Rick Ross, all these people. He's actually the guy that gave Puff the name Sean John for Sean John. Wow. Um. He's real tight with with Puff. He's from Mount Vernon. A mutual friend from my block across the street from me was friends with him. I had met him, and we knew each other, and we had hung out a few times. Like, and now, granted, not in the club. This is high school, so you know, I don't know what it was, baseball or something, <laughs> some neighborhood, you know, hangout. This guy um, saw me with the roller stickers, and he's like, man. Let me get one of them stickers. So he did something crazy. Like he put, I want to say he put one on his crotch, one on the side of his head, one on his, you know, on his, one on his ass or something. I don't know. Can you curse on this show? Yeah. Okay. So, and he goes walking through the school. He go walking through the courtyard. So before I know it, and this is where the whole story come full circle. People just saying, man, can I get one of them stickers? Can I get one of them stickers? Before you know it, the whole school, the whole lunchroom, everybody wearing my sticker because it became like the cool thing to do because he had done that. Wow. So now ADF go from being the dude that's like the kind of the DJ, DJ at home, do a few house parties or whatever to like, Everybody in high school know who Eddie F is. They don't even know me. They don't know what I look like, but they know my name. Yeah. <laughs> I would meet people. True story. Going and then after I started doing parties and high school parties. Now this is back. You know, there's no Instagram, social media, all that. So it's nowhere to like see a person. And, and if you're in a big party, imagine being in a club. You don't really know who's DJing. Like if you don't right. know the DJ, if you don't know their name and heard it before and saw their picture, if you just go to a random club and some guy's DJing, and music could be dope. Um, you might not know what they look like unless you go to the DJ booth and say, who is that? Is that DJ such and such? So people would know DJ Eddie F come to the parties. Parties be packed. My circle of people, they knew me. I meet people, I would meet people all the time and they'd be like, man, you ready up? Like, man, I expected a guy with big gold chains and like, you know, cartels <laughs> and like, and I used to get that all the time. And that's how I blew up as a DJ. But my point of saying that was that taught me something about marketing. It's just, I just took an idea from something else, which was like how repairman, I guess, marketed themselves or left their sticker and that and I and I took that concept and promoted myself. So later on down the line when it's time to make records and time to I would do the same thing, postcards, stickers, and I would start to do that stuff. And the funny thing is um it didn't even matter to me if it was stuck on the wall or if it was 
on the, we would buy flyers sometimes and I would tell quote unquote my street team, which wasn't even called it wasn't anything official at the time. We would tell I would tell them if we get ten we used to order like ten thousand flyers. We we were hooked up with this printing company and they would print like they'll print you like ten thousand flyers for like seventy dollars or something because they would print magazines. Mm-hmm. So it was really cheap. Um and it might even be cheaper than that. I would tell them, man, give out the flyers, pass out the flyers, but it wouldn't matter if you threw a hundred flyers on the ground because the whole point was somebody to see it. Right. If they sweep it up tomorrow or later on, somebody said, Man, this stuff is everywhere. This artist is everywhere. And to me that um that started the whole concept of promoting artists and street teams. Um Puff took it to the next level with he started actually doing uh, like stencils and spray painting on it and doing, you know, billboards. But the concept is that anything that a, a company or a brand or anybody else could do to promote themselves or their brand, we could do that, too, in music. And, and that's how we looked at it. So it was like the beginning of the endorsements. Right. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So going through that entire thing that you went through, because I mean, there's so many sides of the game that you've seen from pretty much the beginning of rap or hip hop to, you know, where it is now, where it's across the world and, you know, multi-genre. What, what ideas do you have for some of these independent artists that are, who are listening right now? Are there any ideas, like anything, any obstacles you can see them getting around easier or, you know, anything like that? Life lessons that they need to know. Uh, well, one thing is that you have to you have to be tenacious and you have to be persistent in today's market because the the good thing is that um and I know we touched on this earlier when I first came in the room the good thing is that with you have the tools and you have access now you know it doesn't cost you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands to make songs make records go into the studio things like that so you you can hone your craft, get your music recorded, get it out there, and you can reach a lot of people. The bad part is that there's a lot of people reaching a lot of people. So now instead of it being 10 guys who got chosen or got selected to have money spent on them to try and make a record, now it's everybody. It's a thousand guys that say, hey, I feel like making a record today. So And then you don't necessarily have the quality control. So what you have to do... You have to be honest with yourself. One, you have to listen to the feedback. You have to listen to if you have people that like your music, what they like. Uh, listen to your fans, whether you have 10 fans or whether you have 10,000 fans. You have to figure out what they like, why they like it. And then you probably should try and find at least at least one experienced person to make sure that you're not just drinking your own Kool-Aid and don't know that, you know, if your stuff is good or not. You got to find, you got to have a, a mentor or somebody that could guide you in the business. It's kind of like going to build a house. You never built houses before. It would be good to have somebody that <laughs> built houses to say, hey, you know, and I'm just making this up. Hey, you don't pour concrete if you know it's gonna go before you know below freezing the the night of or whatever. You know, somebody right. that just knows right. that has gone through those things that tell you when you do things and why you do it. Because once you get that experience, you say, "Oh, I know that," and it becomes second nature. So, um, essentially, you said that because you know the idea recently is that we don't need gatekeepers, but I think that you know people like yourself and you know. Other people who have had this experience definitely need to be gatekeepers in the industry because there's a lot of stuff that's getting through that shouldn't. Right. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the death of the gatekeeper? Um, that's the part that's bad because you don't it's basically like lost information. You have people starting from scratch and now they're not getting the information, so they can't they can't hone hone their craft. It it would be like it's like learning to play piano without a teacher. You need somebody that knows that could tell you, no, you're not hitting that note right, correct, Lord. That's not, you know, you need to, once you learn the actual, you know, the, um, the foundation, then you can go and put your own spin on it, your own creativity. But you still need to learn that foundation. It's like you need to learn the alphabet. You need to learn your numbers. You need to learn how to count to 10. You can't do advanced, like, you know, 
physics and algebra if you don't even know how to count to 10 first. So what's happening is a lot of people are skipping the first fundamental stage and then they're just self-taught. And that self-taught is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a, it can be a hindrance if you don't have the fundamentals down. Mm-hmm. So people need to go in and research the fundamentals and make sure they have that part. Um, because it le- you it leaves something missing. Um, and that's what the gatekeepers would do uh, back when we were, like, starting. Yep. 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 I met a lady girl named Sally Boo down at the diner. She wore a poker dot. Sally by B.B. Borelli, right here on the 9010 Rule. So talk to us a little about what you have going on now. Uh, well, now I'm doing a couple of things. One is um, I'm doing, I'm actually, well, I'm going to start with the part that nobody thinks that I would be doing, which is um, I'm doing uh, branding and IT consulting, medical consulting. Uh, a lot of people say, how did you get into that? Like, how did that even come into play? I was a computer science major before we ever got a record deal. I always loved computers in, in high school, computer science major in college. Um, I'm pretty, I was really the original college dropout. The day when we shot our first, my last day of school was the day before we shot the video for Mr. Big Stuff. Timing. So, and and plus I waited, I mean, like I said earlier, my mother and father are teachers, so I couldn't just, you know, oh, no. I couldn't be like, I'm <laughs> dropping out of school trying to make music. Um, and I did get permission. I asked my mom, I said, you know, I want to pursue this uh, career in music. And you, I had, I actually had a um, region scholarship to go to Syracuse. I was supposed to go away. I asked my mom, I said, um, I want to stay local. We're trying to make a record. I want to go to City College for a year. If it doesn't work out, then I'd like to just go to Syracuse next year. And she said, you know, that's fine. Whatever you want to do is fine. I trust you. That And that was the biggest um, boost for me because it was, it was an endorsement in a, 
a believance in, you know, trusting me to make the right decision. And I think that even motivated me even more to want to be successful. Um, so taking the computer science and the, com- the love of computers, I always continued to do computers in the background. I was my own IT person. I learned, I actually went to training courses for Apple um, OS 10, OS 10 server. When it first came out, I went to uh, Virginia and took the training courses. So I grew up with that whole operating system. Then I subsequently added on Windows, Windows operating systems, Exchange Server, all that stuff. So I was doing all this stuff for my own business. And then I started doing it for other people and other companies. And I started just kind of like helping people. So I ended up uh, doing, officially doing IT consulting in uh, computer systems, workstations, voice over IP, uh, HIPAA compliant uh, workstations and healthcare systems. That's what I'm doing. And I call that my, my day job or my, you know, after sports plan. Like after you, you play and then you kind of like go into the corporate world and use your, your branding to do the other thing. That's my other thing. Right. And what I'm still doing now in music is I have a company called Track Meet and I also a division called Track Meet Tunes, which does two things. Does distribution, digital distribution through iTunes. I was one of the original distributors. I had an iTunes distribution deal when it first came out, um, when iTunes first came out. And we also do licensing and music for film and TV. And uh, so we work with a lot of uh, the popular networks, BET, VH1, uh, Centric, uh, NBC, and a lot of brands, Heineken, McDonald's, uh, Chrysler. And uh, I know I'm leaving somebody out, but we do a lot of work, music for film and television. Um, and I actually um, just worked on a project the, um, the, for the Andrew Young Foundation, the making of modern Atlanta. It's basically the story of Atlanta and how Atlanta was built from, you know, the 60s and all the different, you know, political figures and, you know, Mayor uh, Maynard Jackson and all those people took you through the whole story. I did the scoring <laughs> for that piece. Um, uh, Don Cornelius uh, uh, documentary, Soul Train documentary, and all these other different uh, creative projects. So that's one of the things that I do now and have a company, uh, Track Me Tunes, which is kind of like a pivot on what I was doing with Untouchables. Uh, and it's also open to new writers and producers. If you're a writer or a producer and you have music that you want to get placed in film and television, you can go to the, to the website. It's trackmeet.com, T-R-A-K-M-E-E-T.com. You just left the C out. Or you can go to Track Me Tunes, same thing, just take out the C. And you can sign up with us for information, or you can send us, if you already have music and you know you want to send us a sample of your music to see if we want to consider you know, putting it in the, uh, in the library for placement in, in different projects, you can send us some samples of your music. Uh, it's a non-exclusive uh, deal. We basically... We partner with you for what we get you work on, which to me is a win-win because if you're a producer or artist and you have, every artist has extra music or has an abundance of music. So if you're a person that has a bunch of tracks, a bunch of songs, and you just kind of trying to either perform or get your, get exposed or get out there, or even if you have a deal and you have extra music that's just sitting around, you can send it to us. And if we place it in something, we'll partner with you on it. But it's non-exclusive. We're not trying to own your music. We're not trying to, uh, you know, hold on to it after that. So I'll give you a scenario. If you're an artist and say you have five songs and you have these two songs you feel you're single, you might have three songs you feel like, oh, these are good songs, but I'm not really pushing these songs. Well, what if one of those songs shows up in the Ford commercial? You know, and somebody's like, man, that's a great song. Who is that artist? Now, guess what? Not only you got paid for that song, you got free promotion to help you with your other stuff. And then it's non-exclusive. So you can still take that song and do whatever you want to do with it. So that's like the concept behind Track Me Tunes. It's awesome. Okay. 
I think something that's very important, though, that people need to definitely hear is that um, being having all the accolades you've had throughout the industry, you still understand the need to preserve income. Yes. And, and so, therefore, you don't have a problem saying things like, I own an, an IT consulting firm. Uh, and I think that's, that's, that's a very important thing for a lot of listeners because they get caught up in this idea that they got to show all this this flash and they have to they have to be a certain thing right but the the real idea here is that anything that you do in the music industry is a platform for something else and you should never ever be ashamed or look away from other business opportunities just because you think you have to look a certain way can you talk a little bit about that exactly um i think and you know exactly what you just said you you i think it's important to uh diversify and you can have multiple talents. You can love music. You can love sports. You can love what you can love racing. You can do all those things. But it doesn't mean that you can, you don't have you cannot do anything else. If you have other talents, other business talents, and then some, a lot of times when you're doing these creative things, you're getting experience and value, valuable information uh, that can help you in actually helping other companies and other businesses, whether it's marketing experience, whether it's just information on developing something from nothing to something major. Um, What I found in corporate culture is that the, the process is the same. A lot of the process is the same process, different product. This is why I guess why you see CEOs of companies, you'll have a CEO of a, of a major, you know, beverage company. And then all of a sudden they like the CEO of some like, you know, like a car company. Like how they do that? Because it's because the process, a lot of the process is the same. Once you have the experts on the actual technology or whatever it is you're selling, but the actual getting it to market, getting it out there, you know, refining the product. It's the, a lot of it is the same system and you start to see patterns. So, um, the other thing, too, is that uh, a lot of my heroes do other things. Like Michael Jordan, the fantastic basketball player, you know, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But then he's also an entrepreneur. He has, you know, right now, Jordan sneakers are doing more for him than it ever did, than he ever got paid in his NBA career. He also is doing, you know, Hanes. He also has, like, restaurants and several other things that he's working on. And an even better example is Magic Johnson, which is in all kinds of businesses, um, using his relationships, his business knowledge. And most likely, I don't know his specific story, but most likely whatever he was doing in college or high school, he's probably using that information that he was, besides basketball, to right. now be an entrepreneur and a businessman. So... You know, why not diversify? Don't be ashamed to diversify. Right. And, you know? and absolutely. And, and to be honest, if you take the 50 foot view of your career, this really is you consulting companies on how to make their systems run more efficiently is no different than you showing uh, one of the young producers how to efficiently get through the, the network. And yes. get, it's the same consultation, it's just a different product. Yes. Yes. And uh, man, true story. The one of the healthcare companies that I consult, I talk to them all the time. I talk to one of the partners. I said, "Man, I said, man, this remind me of it remind me of Uptown Records. It's just doctors. It's like the same. <laughs> it's the same thing. You know, you have people come in. You have characters. You know, different executives. It's the same. You know, some people are funny. Some right. people are serious. Some people are cool. It's the same thing. It's just that instead of the product being music." The product is healthcare. So, right. and they just need chinchillas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, it's, it's interesting, man. It's interesting watching these things develop. Well, you know what? Since you, you say that, like with all your experience um, and, and in consulting different uh, aspiring entertainers and things of that nature, what are some of the common mistakes that you see them making like in the process? Um, one, which you already touched on, thinking that they're too good to do something. 
um, they, stopping stopping their hustle because they think they shouldn't be doing that. Uh, because you never know what opportunity and what's gonna what's gonna turn into what. As a matter of fact, I give you an example of an industry vet. Um, you know, I'm I'm in Houston a lot. I'm I'm back and forth Atlanta, Houston. Uh, there was a show, uh, radio station out there. LL Cool J was on the show. He come, LL comes to the show, and he pulls up. He pulls up his pants. I wasn't at the show, but he pulls up his leg, pants leg, and he has a knee brace on. He's like, man, see, I came out here. He's like, my knee busted and everything, but I'm here. And that's because that's one of the reasons why he's a LL Cool J because he understands like just because his knee is hurt, he's not gonna be like. I can't make it or I'm not going to be at the show. He's like, if I can walk, if I can get there any kind of way, I'm there. Um, a lot of artists, they think when they have a hit or when they make it that they made it and the work is over. Actually, it's the reverse. It's like when you make it, the work it starts. <laughs> right. That's mm-hmm. when now everybody's pulling on you. All the stations want you. And um, it's the hardest job you ever had. Now, yes, starting now, exactly. <laughs> and you got to be on point. And now it's it's actually. You have to be more worried about making mistakes than you did when you didn't have any notoriety. Right. So it becomes harder. Uh, and I think a lot of artists need to pay attention to that. Um, another thing is that um, trying new things. Uh, a lot of artists, and a lot, a lot of artists that have had hit records will tell you that they didn't know that that record was going to be a hit. They thought their hit was going to be something else. Uh, they trusted something, they took a chance on something, it became the biggest record they ever made. Uh, case in point, not a mistake, but a case in point of somebody that took just advice. Pharrell, from the Neptunes, who had already had all these hit records, who had just, just coming off of Blurred Lines and all this stuff, was doing... A song for the, um, and I can't think of the name of the movie Despicable right. Despicable Me? Yeah, Despicable mm-hmm. Me. And he did that song nine times. They told him to go back. He did nine versions of that song. The ninth version was happy. He was listening to the people who they said, no, that's not it. That's not it. And he was accommodating them. He could have said... He could have said, man, I'm Pharrell, I'm man. Pharrell. <laughs> I'm a, I just did Blurred Lines. Man, y'all don't know what y'all talking about. He could have been like that. But his humbleness and his willingness to work with the creative people and get them what they wanted turned into the biggest song man. worldwide, global smash, number one in country after country after country after country. And he didn't—the guy that did, you know, nothing and, you know, the clips— and and you know, in all those songs, made happy, which is right. a totally uplifting, <laughs> happy. You know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? He yeah. made like he made he made some of the, you know, he made super thug. He made some right. of the, you he know, made some grimy stuff. It's like grimy, when R. Kelly yeah. made, I believe I can fly. Exactly. <laughs> so you got, and it was his biggest record of all time. But it took that he, humility. Yes. And he had the humility. He took the creative direction, and he took a chance, and he and he extended himself, and did something he had never done before, and did a sound he had never done before. Fantastic. Yeah, and I, I know a lot of you listeners right now. You guys are hard headed. You're not going to hear that, but some of you guys right now who are not willing to to put your foot out there and do something different or take criticism from people who are willing to give you constructive criticism, that's something you need to pay attention to. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Man. Um, matter of fact, let me let me ask you this here. What well what do you see the future of music becoming? I mean, cause technology has done a lot and mm-hmm. I don't think that that trend is gonna stop anytime soon. The future of music, I mean, I a couple of things. When I think about where music is going sound wise, it's hard to tell. It's hard because things happen sometimes with technology. They can go either one or two ways. They can make things sound more techno, more electronic, more kind of like synthesized. Like or, Yes. Or they can become, sometimes the quality becomes so good that somebody says, hey, man, you can have like, 
You can have a whole symphony orchestra in your phone. You could download it on the app, and now you could play like you could sound like the Philharmonic. You know what I mean? And that could breed some creativity. So it, you just you can't really tell. It's like sampling for it being a digital science made some of the greatest sounding, you know, dark 50s, 60s, 70s sounding hip hop records in terms of instrumentation and horns that we ever had because people were able to like recreate or or grab parts of that sound. So it can go both ways. And we had just come from, when we came through the sampling age, we had just come through the kind of like synthesizer age. We, you know, with the early 80s, a lot of synthesizer music. And then we went through like, then we started sounding like, um, you know, the 60s and 70s again with the drums and with the horns and with the strings and all of that stuff. So um, one thing I do know, though, is that it's going to travel a lot faster. So, you know, who knows? I don't know if... You know, I think it's going to become more on demand than it ever has been. Meaning, like, um, instead of Beyonce making an album and putting it on iTunes and not telling anybody, you know, it might be where just like somebody, just like somebody, how somebody makes a tweet and makes an Instagram post, it'll be like that. You might, um, and I might be giving away an idea right now. Something I just thought off the top of my head. It might be a subscription where somebody subscribes to the artist and then they just put out new music every day or every couple of days and just say, hey, I made a new song. And okay, I'm part of the Beyonce, whatever. There's so an I get, for that. So I get all her music. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's going to go somewhere where there's going to be quicker access. Whatever whatever it sounds like. What exactly it sounds like, I don't know what that's going to be. Okay. Well, Eddie, we definitely appreciate you stopping in and talking with us for a minute. Uh, you dropped so many jewels. I'm sure our listeners are, are very thankful as well. Give us the website one more time for the, the company. Uh, okay. www.trackmeet.com. That's T-R-A-K-M-E-E-T. And it also... For brand consultation, web design, app design, uh, www.edfdev.com. EDF, like like me, and DEV, short for development.com. And then um, I just want to give my, my, all my handles. It's all DJ Eddie F. DJ E-D-D-I-E-F. That's on Twitter. That's on Facebook. That's on Instagram. And uh, most likely, whatever else they, they come with, it'll probably be DJ Eddie F. Hip-hop royalty and still gatekeeper, Eddie F. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.